I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. So when you add the increased fuel load and now you're putting the weather on top of it, it's just the perfect storm really to create the kind of mega fires we're seeing now. We see it year after year. The fire season isn't what it used to be. It's definitely going to take a toll on the body, not just physically, but, but emotionally, uh, mentally. And it's having an impact on those who are on the front lines. When I first joined the fire service, there was uh, lists that were two, two to three pages long of people that wanted to do it. Now there's nobody on the list, and you can't even beg people to come. It's that bad. It's that bad. We're out here in Duchesne County talking about the changing fire season and the changes many say need to happen with firefighters. I'm Matt Rascone, and this is KSL+. Plus. This is our kind of primary fuel type out here, sagebrush, pinion juniper. You can see a pretty good fuel bed out there right now to carry fire. I spoke with Jason Porter about his career. So I've been doing this for 21 seasons now. Started in 1999 with just a couple years break. He got started in firefighting out of high school. My career has primarily been in Utah. I was probably five or six years into my career before I really started being exposed to fires happening around communities. Seemed like every fire used to be way out there, you know, super remote. We were just worried about the fire itself. That's adding a new complexity to it as well now. As communities spread into that urban interface, we're seeing more and more fires on the doorsteps of communities. So it cranks up the stress. It cranks up the risks. He's now the assistant fire management officer for the Green River BLM district. What is a week, what is a day as far as hours and, you know, days of the week that you work? So when we're, when we're out there on a fire assignment, the shifts uh, can go up to a 16-hour day. Uh, when we commit to a fire, that's uh, a minimum of two weeks that you're committing to be gone, plus whatever travels incurred during that time as well. Um, when uh, situations do get a little bit more uh you know, fast-paced in regards to the amount of fires and, and the need for resources. Uh, sometimes those tours of duty, we call them, will stretch out to maybe a 21-day assignment. But we try for 14 days, give them a couple of days off, and then reset that clock to where they can go out and do it again. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's, uh, it's definitely demanding. The fire season is changing. For example, when I started... Uh, in 1999, we didn't bring a lot of people on board till June. We really, we didn't see a lot of fires until June, and that would wane, you know, September into October. Now we're 
we're seeing these fires start locally even March to November. So it's definitely putting more of a strain as if you look at that 14-day tour that they're just doing back to back to back when we're busy. It's uh, putting a lot more strain on our resources now. Right. So instead of seasonal, it's more just year-round almost? Exactly. We talk of a fire year. Uh, we've stopped using the term fire season uh, long ago as uh, even if it's not just here locally, you know, it's it's always fire season somewhere, whether it's the southeast, whether it's Alaska, uh, the desert southwest, there's always somewhere to send our folks to help out. And Utah is struggling to keep up. So uh, our firefighters typically start out about 13.45 an hour. That's definitely something that we've been talking about a lot more in depth lately is uh, now that we're we're out of this seasonality and we're in these fire years that are demanding more of our people, and we're seeing other organizations around us, such as Cal Fire, for example, out in California, paying sometimes three times as much as what uh, a lot of our firefighters are making. We we definitely recognize there's a need to look at our workforce as a whole and start making some transitions into something that's not as seasonal and uh, that's going to be better for supporting families and that uh, work-to-life balance for sure. Over the past few years, the state has seen a drop in quality applicants for seasonal fire positions, and they've struggled to hold on to many of their employees. I think one of the challenges we face right now is just coming up with a model that's going to keep people around longer. I, I think a lot of people get in this for a couple years, and I don't, I don't think it's just the financial side of it. It's a difficult job. You're away from home. You're away from comforts a lot. And those are the things we're trying to address, you know, uh, multiple different challenges we're facing there to uh, that whole retention and, and recruitment kind of question. According to the state's website, the median take-home pay, including overtime, for a first-level fire tech in 2020 was just over $24,000. Level 2, nearly 26000 Level 3 jumps to 46000 And fire tech 4 at $67,600. Now, assuming they work May through October, eight hours a day, the hourly rate ranges from $23 to $67 an hour. But, of course, they work more hours than that. If it were their hourly rate for the year, those numbers would be cut in half. This job, is this going anywhere? No, this isn't going anywhere. You know, we've talked about the seasons getting longer. Uh, I think you can turn on the TV every summer and see that these fires are getting bigger. You know, it's... It's becoming more complex. It's becoming more of an issue. And I believe our agencies realize that, that you know, we've, we've got to make some changes. We've, we've got to keep people doing this because the, the need for this service isn't going to go away anytime soon. Mike Hedrick spoke with the state fire management officer. You've heard many times out there that things are dry and it is as bad as they say it is. He's with the Division of Forestry, Fire and State Lands. Things are just burning uh, extreme for this time of year and uh, we're definitely seeing it on the ground. What would you say, you know, if you were to do a timeline and say in a normal year, this is where we'd be at right now or where we should be at right now. How far ahead of schedule, if you will, are we? So based off of some of our ERCs and BIs, we're, we're approximately six weeks ahead of schedule. 
So we're, the, the amount of uh, fuel that we're burning, the BIs, the RCs, we typically see end of July, 1st of August. Uh, when you look at the last couple of decades, is it, is it legit this year? It really is. You know, I've been fighting fire in Utah for 30 years, and this is the worst I've ever seen it. Uh, we've, the, the way the ERCs are running right now, I've never seen it this high this early in the season ever. It's the worst. It is the worst. You're not like mincing words. It's not just like, hey, I'm trying to put a scare into people. It's it, it, like you've, you've, you've heard the governor say it's bad. It is as bad as everyone says it is. Okay. So how are you guys dealing with that? With it being so, so difficult, what are the big challenges you're facing? So we're just trying to keep up with, with the demand of fires and moving folks around, trying to get them the time off, the days off that they need so that they can uh, keep their wits and about themselves. Uh, it's become a fire year for us. Uh, fire seasons are going longer. They're starting earlier. And, and we have to keep our resources to a point where they're not getting burned out. We only have so many folks to do this job. And uh, we, we have to take what we have and, and just rotate our resources around the state. When you're talking about these firefighters out there and, and trying to put these things out, what kind of days are we looking at? What kind of schedule is that? Because, you know, a lot of people are working a nine-to-five. Heck, so many people are working from home nowadays, too. And, and so when you look at their schedule and what their day looks like, what does it look like? So a typical day for anyone out on the fire is typically 16 hours a day. It's, it's hot. It, it's hard work. I mean, it's, it's not sitting in a computer in an air-conditioned office. It's out on the fire line where it's hot, digging in the rocks, digging in the gravel. Uh, it, it's not work for your typical person. It's something that you've got to want to do. And obviously, honestly, the pay's not that great. But it's something that we're working on here in the state. Uh, we had House Bill 65 uh, run by uh, Representative Casey Snyder that passed, and, and we're working on changing that. I, I said we don't have people leave because of burnout. We have people leave us because they have better opportunities to make more money in other organizations, and that's what they'll do. Average, average salary for someone fighting these fires, what is it? Well, for your first-year rookie coming out on the fire, I mean, they're making about 16 bucks an hour. You can, oh my goodness. I mean, you think about some of the other jobs out there, especially right now. I mean, you, you can go past, past fast food restaurants, and they're, they're starting some people at 18, 19 bucks an hour. Yeah. We're, we're going to change that. That's a challenge if you see that. You talk about being in air conditioning, and, and, and let's be honest, the threat out there, too. I mean, they're putting their lives on the line, right? They are. Uh, you have airplanes going and, and, and they're dropping water. You have some on the ground, you know, digging these lines. But what's the reality of this is endangering their lives? Well, anything is possible out there. I mean, you have rocks that roll out, trees that roll out. You could have an aircraft come down that's over the top of them. Uh, they do make hazard pay when they're out there on the line, but it's not that much. I mean, it, it averages probably two bucks an hour. So, you know, you do have those individuals making $16 an hour. It depends on which agency they're working for as far as what hazard pay looks like. But you ask yourself a question, how much would I, how much would I want to make to risk my life to do a job? Uh, firefighters all over the country do that same thing every day. Why do you think they do it? I think it's a desire to help, uh, want to be out there. It's a camaraderie that just being with the guys, gals, I mean, it's an interagency mix of, of everybody. Uh, 
whether it's federal, volunteers, uh, state employees, male, female. It's just a bond that people get when they're out there working together in the outdoors. A lot of people say they love it. They'd rather be outdoors working than sitting in an air-conditioned office behind a computer. So it's, it's just everyone's different. How difficult is it to recruit right now? It's become a lot harder over the last couple of years. Uh, the new generation of kids coming up and coming out of school, they're looking for the tech jobs. They, they make more money. Uh, but there is, there is people out there that do want to do this work, and we, we recruit from all over the United States. Our, our local uh, crews that we have here in the state, we pull individuals from all over the United States. Have you seen, are there fewer and fewer that are applying for these types of jobs? Yes. The numbers are, are dwindling fast. Like, what are we looking at? It, it's less than half. I mean, when I first joined the fire service, there was uh, lists that were two, two to three pages long of people that wanted to do it. Now there's nobody on the list, and, and you can't even beg people to come. It's that bad. It's that bad. So what's that mean for the future? The future doesn't look good. Uh, you, you've seen a push from the federal agencies to raise pay. Uh, you've seen a push from the state agencies to raise pay. We're doing what we can, but we also rely on volunteer fire departments who don't make anything. And these fires are getting bigger, they're getting larger, and employers are not wanting to let people go as much on a wildland fire. They're okay to let their people go on a structure fire because that's impacting someone's lives. Whereas a wildland fire, maybe not so much. And so we're, we're starting to see a little bit of pushback from employers throughout the state of saying, if it's just a brush fire, you can't go. And even the, even the volunteer fire departments are having a difficult time recruiting people because, like I said, if they're not getting paid for it, they need to be somewhere where they're making money. And would you say that's really what it comes down to is pay? Is there something else about it, or do you believe it comes down to finances? I think the bottom line is pay. I mean, you've got to make a living for your family. You've got to be able to support yourself, and without that, you, you might as well be looking for something where you can do that. Because in the summer, especially in the summer, I mean, how often are these, uh, these firefighters away from their families? Well, they, they could be gone up to 21 days. The normal rotation is 14 days, but we can extend them if, if things are bad enough. Uh, there may be times when we can R&R these individuals in place if they're out of state. You know, they'll work 14 days, take two days off, and we put them right back out on the line for another, you know, eight days, seven days, whatever that looks like. If it gets bad enough, and, and we are looking like we're going to get that this year, we're already nationally in a planning level of four, when we get to five, it means that resources are just not available, and we'll have to start doing what we have to do with our resources to stretch them. Yeah, so what do you do at that point? We hope. I know hope's not an option a lot of times, but we, we do the best that we can do with what we have. You know, we've got a lot of good, dedicated people that love this work that they do. Our only thing is to make sure that what they do is, is safe and that we don't burn them out. 
sometimes people think we use scare tactics or it's, it's letting everyone know maybe the, pro, you know, hey, it's a lot bigger than what it really is. But when it comes, I mean, you talked a little bit about how dry it was. And, yes, it's exactly as bad, maybe worse than what we're hearing about. With the situation you're in with firefighters, is it just kind of what you're ta- – is it worse than what it seems? It's getting there. You know, I don't know. We're, we're just going to kind of have to see what the next couple of years bring as far as what people want to do with, with their lives. I think with this pandemic that happened, people kind of got used to staying home a little bit, and they, they feel that with some of the money that they're receiving from the federal government, they don't need to work anymore. But eventually, people are going to have to come back to work, and whether they choose this line of work or not, I think that will, you know, we'll see what happens in the future. But we are seeing a lack of people showing interest in wildland fire. How do you manage all of this? So when you have fewer, in essence, and fewer employees, how do you manage? It's almost like fewer employees, more work. Is that safe to say? It is safe to say. And the method that we use here in the state of Utah is we rely on our cooperators, which are the fire departments, whether they're volunteer or full-time. We rely a lot more on them to do some of that work if we don't have the staff to do it. How many do you have working, and, and forgive me for being a little bit ignorant to this, but um, how many do you have working for the state before you start pulling from those local fire departments? So in total, we have about 160 state uh, firefighters, and that, that goes anywhere from our fire wardens in each county to our crews, resources that we have at the Lone Peak uh, Conservation Center. So 160. Um, how's that compare to years past? The numbers are about the same. We've, we've managed the, that same number for the last several years. Okay. And so with that number, are you, are you hoping to get more than 160? Is there enough in the budget to have more than 160? Well, those are some, those are some discussions we're going to have to have with the legislature. Uh, we've just completed our fire strategic plan, and we, we need to change something. Uh, fire seasons are getting longer. They're getting hotter. They're getting drier. We haven't made that shift as a state yet to, to adapt to what that is. And we need to take a, a good close look at that and see what the numbers really are. When's the last time the state made kind of a bigger shift to, to address this concern? It's been at least 15 years. And, and we're talking about lawmakers as far as pay or is it something else? Well, they've never really, they haven't done much with pay that I, that I can ever remember. Uh, this this last legislative session, uh, Representative Casey Snyder ran House Bill 65, which addressed the pay issue. But uh, it was the early 2000s is when they made a big push to hire full-time fire wardens in each county. And, and that was huge at the time. And we've kind of kept that same model for for 21 years. and And we are burning our people out. What do you think it would take? What kind of, I know more money, what, what are you looking at uh, with this House bill? And I, I'm not super familiar with it, but uh, where did it go? So House Bill 65 uh, asked us to do a study of uh, federal pay scales, fire department pay scales throughout the West. Uh, and we've done that. We, we've got to sit down with Representative Snyder and work out a strategy for where we go in the future. But we did receive some good information back, and, and we're going to start implementing that come July 1st. Uh, we are going to have to you know, sit down and, and really figure out what the future continues to look like as far as pay and retention for our wildland firefighters in the state. There's a mentality that government works slowly. 
for something like this, how quickly do things need to start moving? I would say that, you know, we're already behind the eight ball. Uh, we, like I said, we've had some discussions with some, with some of our representatives. They're fully supportive of what we're doing. We, we just really need to sit down and, and look at uh, how, how we, we strategize moving the, wild, the wildland fire program and the state into the future. And what's your, as you've been putting it together, what do you think that strategy is? There's still a lot of unknowns. Uh, there's, there's many out there who think that we need to be like Cal Fire. And I don't agree with that, but we need to be Utah Fire, and we need to develop what that looks like. What's Cal Fire? Explain that to me, what being like Cal Fire. So Cal Fire, I mean, they don't use a lot of their fire departments to fight fires. They've got a huge organization that fights the fires in California. We don't have a huge organization. We rely on the fire departments in the state, and we, we work very well with our, with our uh, government cooperators. We work interagency here in this state, and we work well together. We, we just got to figure out the numbers to make it work even better. So if there's a big fire down in that corner um, of Salt Lake County. How, how does that work then when you talk about interagency and firefighters? So the way we, you know, initially those, those 911 calls will come into a 911 dispatch center and they'll roll out the local fire departments and immediately, you know, if they can determine that they're going to need assistance, those calls will start coming into the interagency fire dispatch centers in the state. And that's when we start getting all of our other partners involved. So the U.S. Forest Service, the BLM, the state of Utah, we all convene. We all fight fire together. It doesn't matter what color a truck you show up in, what color your shirt is, what color your hard hat is. We're all there to do one job, and that's to put the fire out. This seems to be effective. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. In the state of Utah, we fight fire interagency like nobody else does. Take some pride in that. I do. When you think of the number of these, how quickly are these other agencies able, when you say the initial firefighters go out there, um, how quickly are the other, like DWR and some of these other firefighters, how quickly are they able to, to make it on scene typically? So it just depends. on. I mean, we've got resources scattered throughout the state. So, I mean, sometimes it could be quick. Sometimes it may take 30 minutes to an hour. Our, our fire departments here in the state do a very good job of fighting fire until we can get there. For the most part, 90 or I think the 88% of the fires are caught in initial attack before that fire gets over 10 acres. So we, we do have some fires that are caught by the locals, and they do a tremendous job. It's those fires that we, that we uh, lose control of that we have to bring in that additional help for. Okay. And is it just, I was just sitting here thinking while you were talking, as far as resources are concerned, is that something that you need more of as well when you're talking about uh, whether it be planes dropping retardant in water or helicopters, whatever it may be, more trucks? Are, are resources running thin as well, or do you have enough resources? All of the above. I mean, we could always use more resources. Uh, right now, we're, we're doing okay. We are getting stretched quite thin. The state of Utah does not manage any aviation resources. We do have the ability to use the National Guard uh, when we have to, but we rely on our federal partners for all the aviation contracts in the state to fight fire. That's something that we, that we need to look at as well. Uh, I think we could, we, we could bring a lot to the table as far as aviation. Uh, we could bring a lot to the table as far as heavy equipment. Uh, we, we just don't have that set up here in the state. How often do you have to call firefighters in from out of state? 
uh, it happens quite a bit. And we don't bring in a lot of the other fire department per se, but we do bring in a lot of other federal agencies. So we have other BLM and Forest Service uh, personnel come in from out of state all the time. You think, uh, is there a pretty good camaraderie there where they help us, we help other guys? Is that how it works? Yes. So we have a system set up. It's called IROC. When, when other states are burning, we send resources to help them. They send resources to help us. We, we also have another system called EMAC. It's a compact where we assist uh, other states when they need help. And so there, there's all kinds of mechanisms set up for us to support other states. Yeah, the, the number of human start fires has just dramatically gone up over the last two years. We've got to have folks to start having better fire sense instead of, you know, dragging those chains down the road. Or, you know, if, if they blow a tire and start a fire, I mean, we'd appreciate them to pull over and at least, you know, say, hey, uh, it was me that started the fire. You know, we, we don't, we're not going to hold anybody liable possibly for that. I mean, we will have a conversation with them if the tire was completely wore out. But we just got to have people be smarter. But over the last two years, we know for sure the, the number of human starts has more than doubled. Is it maddening? It is. I mean, it's crazy to think that people are just out there starting fires. And, and I don't know that they, they do it on purpose, but I do know some of them. I mean, they'll walk away from a campfire and let it just smolder out. And, and we can't continue to do that because nine times out of ten, that fire is going to turn into a catastrophic event. You think that's laziness, ignorance? What do you think it is? I think it's both laziness, ignorance, and, and just not knowing. I mean, most of the time people will walk away and, and they'll see on the news that there was an abandoned campfire and they'll think, well, that wasn't ours, when it more than likely probably was theirs. We can't stress enough that if you're going to start a fire, put the fire out. I mean, pour water on it, stir it, make sure you can stick your hand in it before you leave. At this point, it seems like common knowledge. We, we've stressed it so much that, that people have just got to be smarter in what they're doing. And I don't know what it's going to take for us to get that word through to the, to the public. But at some point, they're going to have to realize that 90% of these fires are caused by them. I mean, it's their taxpayers' money that's, that's paying us to fight these fires. And if we didn't have to do that, that money could go other places. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Matt Rascone. We'll see you again next week on KSL Plus.